there, Green Future Growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android get app. Your copy Let's of the Organic Growing Guidebook available today from Amazon for just $26.95. And it's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis. Um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay, what Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for Mother Earth. Hey, green future growers. Do you love to listen to audio as much as I do? Have you ever tried an audiobook? As a fan of this podcast, you must already enjoy listening to stories just like I do. Well, the Organic Gardener podcast has teamed up with Audible to offer you a free audiobook. Just go to www.organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash book or just type book into the search bar at theorganicgardenerpodcast.com and you can get entered to get listening to your first audiobook today. Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast today. I am just thrilled to introduce my guest. It's Tuesday, February 19th, 2019, and I have another rock star millennial on the line from Confluence Farm in California. Julia and her husband, Andy, are chefs turned farmers, so we are going to get a great interview today. Their motto is, come together, eat well. They have the cutest little logo I just love, and so I'm excited to hear their story, and I know you will be too. Welcome to the show, Julia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for sharing with us today. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, my name is Julia and I own a three-acre farm with my husband in Northern California, as you were saying. We're about an hour north of San Francisco. Um, We're certified organic. We grow mostly vegetables. We also grow some flowers, herbs, and we have some fruit trees as well but we're primarily vegetables. Um, I used to be a baker and pastry chef, and my husband was a savory chef. Uh, We actually met working in a restaurant together in San Francisco. Um, So we both always had a real love and passion for food, but from the cooking side. And we always kind of had a little garden going wherever we were living, but it was only ever a very small amount and only ever a hobby. And about four years ago, we were both looking to transition away from the restaurant world, but we still wanted to be doing something with food. And the opportunity arose to move back to the property where I grew up, which is the property where we farm right now. And um, it actually had been bought to be a farm when my family originally moved there, but, but no one had ever really utilized it in that way. And both my husband and I saw the potential for it to be a farm. And so we decided to move back and start a farm. I think both of us, you know, having worked in the food industry, we 
both had really been committed to working with um, local growers for the ingredients that we used in our cooking. So we developed a lot of friendships with local farmers in the areas where we worked. Um, I think my husband especially always kind of had the green thumb out of the two of us. And so he was really inspired by what he was seeing in terms of people growing food. And so, yeah, we moved back and kind of dove in headfirst. Neither of us had ever farmed before we actually started the farm, which was kind of um, it was a very steep learning curve. And it, we're still pretty new in our farm. This is only our third year. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been exciting and very hard, but that's a little bit about our backstory. Um, we currently sell at farmer's markets and we also sell to restaurants and, uh, grocery stores in our area and a little bit in the greater Bay area. Oh yeah. <laughs> it is a huge learning curve, right? Going, um, figuring yeah. out how to make a market profitable and to work and get it all together. And it's kind of neat the way, um, I like interviewing people who are kind of newer to things because I feel like the lessons are a lot fresher in their heads. Um, yeah, absolutely. So kind of talked, I guess, about your first gardening experience. I mean, I always like to start out asking, like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Who were you with? What did you grow? Like, what was your very first gardening experience? Was it like when you guys moved back there? Like, did your parents grow anything when you were a kid or? Yeah, so my mom has quite a green thumb. So she always had a garden growing up. She always had some vegetables. Um, she mostly had, a, a, she still has a garden to this day. That's right next to the farm. And so she always grows lots of flowers and perennials. And we always had, at the very least, cherry tomatoes, lettuce, uh, Swiss chard, and then, you know, whatever else she was interested in growing that year. But I think growing up, I would definitely help her out in the garden. I can't say that I had a super green thumb growing up or that I was as interested. But it's funny, later in life, I think I've I've definitely learned a lot from her in terms of a love for plants and little things. So that was definitely my first exposure to gardening was, was through her growing up. Yeah. So then is that how you learned how to grow garden organically or was that like from the rest of, I mean, it sounds like she probably is, but. I mean, she grows organically, but that, you know, her garden was always pretty small. So I think when we had, I mean, when we decided we were going to start the farm, it was always really important to us that it was organic. Um, we ended up being getting certified from day one, but regardless of whether or not we had the certification, we were really interested in growing organically. I, I mean, I think growing up, it always been really important. We always, you know, to the best of our ability, bought organic produce, and I think there was always that sense. Um, I mean, I think Andy and I both had that value in terms of consumers. And so when we decided to start farming, it was really important for us to farm organically. And so I think in terms of how we learned, because that was where we were starting from, that was just the framework that we started and, and anybody or any resource that we were using was geared around, around that. So I was mostly learned through starting our own farm in terms of the actual practices. Sure. So, yeah, because there's a huge difference between a garden and a productive farm, especially one that actually right. turns a profit and can, like, provide a living. So do you want to tell us yeah. about something that grew well this year? Yeah, um, something that grew really well, I think 
one of the things I really was happy with was our carrots, because I think that that was a lot of, I mean, there's been many crops that have been a lot of trial and error. And I think that was one that I, we felt this year, we really kind of dialed in. Um, and it's actually become quite a staple crop for us, which is really nice. But that was, that was a big learning curve just in terms of, you know, we direct sow our carrots and making sure we had the proper, uh, watering, the infrastructure for them to keep them properly hydrated while they were germinating and, and the weeding of them so that we really just had the carrots coming through and learning about the right soil that they needed, um, kind of figuring out where on our farm they grow best because our soil type can vary a little bit even within our farm. And um, I think I think that was something we felt really proud of this year was kind of really focusing in on that crop. I feel like every year there's a few crops that we really feel like by the end of the year, we've really focused on and really dialed in more, um, how to grow them. Not to say there isn't always more to learn, but just feeling like we worked out a lot of the the issues that we had come up upon for that crop. I totally understand. And I was looking at your Facebook post and your carrots, like, I'm curious because like Mike always likes to have a nice, your carrots are just like, I know like his dream carrots for like, cause he cans a lot of carrots for us for the winter. And, um, yeah, I know they're like, you know, because you have to do all that work to can things like he peels them and then he slices yeah. them and, and yours are like, yeah. they're nice. They're round. They're hearty. They're a good size. Mm-hmm. Like what kind yeah. of carrot are they? Nantes or Danvers they, or yeah. We use Nanti style mostly. We have a little bit that are um, every once in a while, like a rainbow carrot, a mix of different ones that I'm not sure all, yeah, I don't think they're all Nantis, but the primary one that we grow, the orange ones that are kind of our staple are, yeah, Nantis type. And like, which what, like what did you figure out for your proper watering infrastructure? Like are you using drip irrigation or like water, like an automatic system? Or do you just like making sure that you go out there every day and check them? I know Mike talks about that a lot, that carrots get to be yeah. really patient. And cause he says they're one of his best crops, but yet mm-hmm. uh, he said he was telling, cause we just like kind of been working on this book together and a garden course. And he was telling me like some of the intricacies of carrots. Yeah. Um, so I think a big thing for us in terms of watering, because I think we've learned that they need to really stay, they can take a little bit longer to germinate and they really have to make sure that the soil stays, especially in the summer, the soil stays moist pretty much the entire time. Our farm is a mix of drip and then we have some areas that are overhead and our carrots are one area where we have that's overhead. So it's a fine mist sprinkler. And we do have it automated. We used to uh, more so go out by hand many times a day and just give it a little a little misting. We now have it automated so that it'll do, even if it's just one minute of watering every few hours um, or just a couple, you know, depending on the time of year and what it needs, it'll give it a little, a little mist while it's germinating. And that really helps a lot. Just we found that if it doesn't stay moist, they don't germinate. So that was a big thing. But I think if you're a home gardener, yeah, it's just being diligent about making sure that you you keep the soil moist and maybe go out a few times, a couple times a day if it's a really hot day, um, especially when they're germinating. 
that was a big thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, like, you know, automating can mean like a couple of things. Like it can either mean like automating, like it's actually on a timer, but to me, just like having something set up where like you go out there and you, and you have like those misters, like you were talking about. Um, that's also, Mm -hmm. I I mean, cause we lived for like six years without running water at all. Like we had to haul all our water to our property. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so, um, Yeah. yeah. So like even having a sprinkler is just huge to me. Like I call that automated and arsons but uh yeah he said he said and it's funny because i struggle the most like that's my biggest struggle is keeping things wet especially in the beginning like i've been trying to grow these little herb seedlings in my pots in my window Mm -hmm. this winter and mike's always like you don't keep them wet enough they're dry they're dry again they're dried out (laughs) i mean we have a wood stove in our house like you know but i don't know i that's like one of my struggles so anyway what are you excited about next year like is there something different you're going to try this year or something new you're excited about um, I think that we, we, we always change our crop plan a little bit and dial in. I'm not sure there's anything, we always do some trial, trial areas, but this year we've kind of honed in a little bit on actually decreasing our diversity, just a little bit of figuring out what grows best for us and what's most profitable. So some areas have expanded, like we've expanded our amount of carrots and our lettuces, um, our tomatoes a bit. Something that's not quite crop related, but I'm really excited about this year is, is that we're, it's the first year we're bringing someone on full time. So that's something that we really realized last year we needed more help to actually be more productive. So we're not increasing our acreage very much this year and instead bringing on more hands and more help. Um, so that's really exciting in terms of transitioning this year. Yeah. Well, I love that because you're providing a green job and just, uh, that's fantastic yeah. that you can do that. And one of the things my listeners are definitely curious about is learning how to be more productive in the space that they're in. Um, and so yeah. that's a great, uh, tip for like, I'm glad to hear that answer. Uh, and I think other people will realize, oh, maybe I do need a little help or maybe I need to figure something out or, uh, whether they're yeah. a backyard gardener and they need like, you know, a lot of my listeners, I feel like struggle with like deep beds. And I'm like, if you, you know, cause they're like, well, you have Mike to build your deep beds. I'm like, well, if I didn't have Mike, I would probably hire someone or I would right, figure yeah. it out. Like, I don't know. I mean, right. I could probably yeah. learn how to use a drill gun, but like my deep beds, like if I built a bed, it would probably collapse after two years. Whereas Mike's last like 10 years. So it'd be worth it. But I don't know. Just, uh, I, uh, I'm glad to hear. And I'm just, we're big on you know, green job, the green new deal with uh, Alexandria or Casio. Oh, what is it? Ocasio Cortez. I feel so okay. bad that I can't remember yeah. her name. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that. I'm really excited about the, yeah, that and the prospect of that. I think it's really exciting that that's being. Yeah. Because if we um, support it, like, like I would much rather like, what does he want? Like some crazy eight million, $8 billion now for a wall. Like I would rather give some of that money to people like you to help you hire somebody to help save our planet. I know. Like, that's where I want to see our money go. And that's a part of my podcast is hoping to teach people so they can teach their neighbors and we can get a greener world. But anyway, I should get off my pulpit mm-hmm. and ask you about what didn't work so well this season. Did you guys have any kind of a flop last year? Did something didn't go the way you thought it was gonna? Um, I think something that was really challenging last year is that it is something that's been challenging. I think the last couple of years, and I think towards the end of last year, we started to feel a little more confident going into this year. Our biggest pest pressure is, flea beetles, um, which are these tiny little, tiny, tiny little beetles. And they love 
baby greens and they love brassicas um, and they can just decimate an entire row. That's been a real challenge for us because they're really tiny. And as organic gardeners and farmers, obviously, um, you know, we need to use organic methods. I, I think we had a lot of loss last year on certain crops. It helped that we're pretty diverse farms. So there's a lot of things that they didn't touch, but we definitely, there was a few crops that we lost. So I think the biggest thing for us this year is there's, there's a handful of crops that we've, they've mostly, the flea beetles are mostly an issue for us in the warmer months. So not really in the spring or late fall once it cools off, but really in the summer months. So there's a small handful of vegetables that we just decided not to grow in the really warm months because we just can't fight it. Really the best way for us to deal with them is to cover with row cover and exclude them. But there's certain crops that don't love that in the middle of summer. And there's certain crops that even with that, you know, they're just a little more stressed in the summer when the plant's a little more stressed when they're hot, the the bugs really know to go after them. So there's a small handful that we're just not going to grow. And then we've learned ways to really utilize the row cover and really have it tight on those crops that we really want to grow that we know that they can get to. Um, that, that I think was a really hard thing about last year was that, that loss from the flea beetles and learning how to deal with that. Oh my gosh, so many great golden seeds there because that's the other thing my listeners ask a lot about is what do we do about pests? And that is one mm-hmm. of the few answers I've had for them is you know, put row cover in it. And then also I really like the way you talked about in the warmer months and just, you know, deciding maybe you're going to change some of the crops during that time or just different ways to deal with it. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to take a moment to thank our sponsors, my good friend, Dacia Daly from Simply Josephine. It's all about handcrafted soaps and apron love here at Simply Josephine. Located in Montana's beautiful Tobacco Valley, I create everything from my home studio. Currently, I offer six different kinds of handmade soaps, three different salves, using wildcrafted plant medicine from right here in our beautiful valley. In addition to my body care products, I also make several styles of aprons. Everything is available at simplyjosephine.com. We want to share a little love with the Organic Gardener podcast listeners. We're offering 15% off. Use code OGP15 at checkout. Thanks and have a beautiful day. Simplyjosephine.com. Have you heard the interview I did with Don Rosenberg, who wrote the book, No Green Thumb Required, Organic Family Gardening Made Easy? This is one of the my favorite books that I've gotten. He's a master gardener with over 20 years of experience and owner and founder and owner of Instant Organic Garden, which is a business that installs raised bed gardens for families. Um, But what I love about this book so much is it's got great um, things to do with kids. It's got like activities to do with kids all along every page. You know, he talks about, you know, he totally understands gardening when you're working full time. You know, he's got this instant approach to how to build the beds, how to maintain them, how to grow 80% of your food using only 10% of the space. So you can get this book by going to the organic gardener podcast.com 
and clicking on our recommended resources and that will take you to Amazon and you could support the Organic Gardener podcast while getting yourself a great read. And now let's get to the root of things. Well, hey, we're already at getting to the root of the thing. So uh, do you have like a least favorite activity to do in the garden or something you've struggled to like got to force yourself to get out there and do? I think in general, one of my least favorite, and this is kind of a broad category, but it'd be moving materials. So like moving um, plant material out or moving tarps or moving lots of row cover. I think it feels a little bit like just straight manual labor. It's not as exciting because I think at times there's moments where I'm, you know, there's a time during the year where I'm kind of not enjoying harvesting, but then there's other times that I really love harvesting. And sometimes I even like weeding. It can be a little meditative, but I think there's certain aspects in the farm that people underestimate. It's just kind of just straight manual labor where you're just literally moving, you know, lots of material or fabric or whatever it is. And it's just, it's tiring. So I think that's always something when there's projects like that, I have to get myself to be a little bit like, okay, I know why I'm doing this and I need to move that thing, but I'm not looking forward to it. I can totally relate. I think one of those for Mike is um, mulching because the hay is really itchy, but he just knows the benefits from it are like, um, you know, just huge. And then, yeah, sure. I have like, I found the one thing that's really saved me because I think I've spent more time in my garden since I started my podcast in the last four years is being able to listen to podcasts when I'm doing some of those more mundane chores. Uh, well, on the flip side, what's your favorite activity? My to favorite do activity. I think at times, so I really love it. I really love greenhouse work. I really love seeding and kind of tending to the baby plants. That's kind of my specialization, one of my specializations on the farm. And I just really love it. But I also, I also really love harvesting flowers. And I think because we don't have as much flowers as vegetables in the farm, it's a little more of kind of a, a fun thing for me to do. Um, because harvesting flowers can be really, really hard in the body, exhausting just as much as uh, vegetables. I have a lot of friends who are flower farmers, and it can be really exhausting. But I think because for me, it's a little more of a novelty on the farm, and I just love flowers, that I think harvesting flowers is is definitely a happy place for me. So that and tending to the baby plants. Excellent. Maybe you can hook me up with some of your flower farmer friends to interview and share their story because that's kind of my dream. My husband's really into the vegetables and I'm more into the flowers. Like I've started out Mm -hmm. trying to grow some flowers um, and I've read like one Bazinski's book and Lisa Ziegler's Cool Flowers Mm -hmm. and some others and Aaron Benzinkian's, you know, and I follow her blog. But I'm just, uh, like I said, I have the problem with the watering. And then usually I have a full-time job, so it's really hard for me to do anything. And then also, like, I've realized after planting lots of sunflowers, like, how much space Mike would have to give me to get my flower, to get a flower business off the ground. And, like, 
um, and then how much work it is, like you said. But I wanted to ask you about that. Like, uh, so have you guys, is the flower part new? Do you have any tips for us about incorporating flowers yeah, into so your Yeah, so funny enough, business? when we first had the idea for the farm, it was going to be half flowers and half vegetables. And I was going to be the one focusing on flowers and Andy the one focusing on vegetables. And that shifted over time for various reasons. And we decided to both focus on more on vegetables. And I think that I kind of fell in love with vegetable gardening uh, farming, but I still really love, really love flowers too. Um, and I really think they're great to have on the farm. They're really great to have on the farm, even if you're just, or a garden, even if you're just growing vegetables, they bring in a lot of beneficial insects. Um, you know, we've really noticed that we have pretty much in our farm for every nine to 10 rows of vegetables, we'll have a row of flowers. So it's breaking up the different blocks. And we've really noticed that brings in a lot of really beneficial insects it's really just beautiful. It makes you happy on the farm. And I certainly think that there's a handful of flowers that are easier to grow, especially for someone starting out. I think zinnias and cosmos, for example, um, are very forgiving and really easy. And they're just so lovely. And I feel like everyone should have at least those in their garden or farm. Yeah. Uh, well, that's good to know because I'm <laughs> all about easy <laughs> Uh, and Mike always usually grows me a bunch of zinnias and we usually have some cosmos. And then, like I said, so my yeah. focus has been okay. sunflowers. And then last year, the other one, I kind of like, um, been separating and like really got to come back a Ooh, lot were my yeah. irises, which I like up here because they one like can mostly yeah. survive on rainwater, which is big for us. But I was surprised at how like just making sure they got watered extra and like constantly cutting them, they bloomed almost to the end of July last year. And usually they're done at like the end of May because I yeah, usually don't pay any are so to. <laughs> I Yeah, and it going. is great too, like you were saying that they they're pretty hardy and yeah, I don't, my irises, I have some irises yes. and I, I don't do that much to them and they just, they come back every year and yeah, they, they keep going for quite a while. They're really, really great. Yeah. And then zinnias and cosmos. I'm excited yes. because anything that's <laughs> forgiving is right up my alley. That's why I love compost the best. <laughs> uh, so how about what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Well, one thing I think is the idea that there's a difference between dirt and soil, which is mostly speaking to the idea that you really want to keep your soil alive. You really want to keep your soil active. So one of the ways that that manifests for us on the farm is trying to really keep things covered. So whether that's keeping things covered with plants in the ground or landscape fabric, if there has to be a rest time in between, um, something that really keeps the moisture in and keeps the soil really active as opposed to kind of exposed, especially in the summer months, exposed dry um, soil that turns in dirt because it's just baking in the sun and not really very, very alive. I think that's, that's something that we constantly are figuring out ways to, to improve upon and really keep things always either have plants in it or covered in some way. And I think we've noticed a real difference in the health of our soil because of that. So yeah, I think that that general idea that there's the happier and more alive and active your soil is that there's a difference between yeah dirt and soil <laughs> perfect well that's definitely like the biggest theme on my show is soil health it's all about the soil health. yeah how about what's your favorite tool tool if you had to move and could only take one tool with you what could you not live without 
Hmm. Well, one thing for us that's been a real game changer, and I guess this is more specific to our, it depends on what you're growing, but is our greens harvester. So we have this thing called a greens harvester, which we use for all of our baby greens, uh, lettuce mix, and it, it cuts it extremely fast. So instead of uh, bending down and using a harvest knife and cutting, it really saves our bodies. It goes, I mean, we can do a whole bed so quickly in a matter of minutes and it's just really clean, really efficient, basically goes along and has these blades that cut it. And then this, this almost mop like thing that I'm not explaining this well, but, (laughs) um, it kind of pushes the, the greens that you cut into this little basket, this canvas basket that you can then pour into your harvest bucket. But it just, I feel like that has been such a game changer for us because that type of crop, the baby greens and the lettuce mix are really profitable for us. But part of profitability is the, is included within it is the efficiency in which we can actually harvest something. So the quicker we can go, the more actually profitable it is for us. So combining that profitable crop with a tool that really allows us to harvest it really well and really quickly has been a real game changer for us. And that's one of my favorite tools for sure. And where do you get like a tool like that, like from Johnny's or farmer's friend or just like your local hardware store? Where'd you find that? I'm pretty sure that one was farmer's friend. Yes, it is farmer's friend. Yeah. And they might actually sell it on Johnny's now too. There's some things that we've bought from farmer's friends that they also now sell on Johnny's, but we definitely got ours from farmer's friend. Cool. I just wrote to them to see if they would do an interview with me because uh, I just talked to Mandy Gruth up here who has a farm up here and she was talking about getting uh, some stuff from them. The silage tarps and things. We ha- and- we've gotten silage tarps from them, which is great. We just got a caterpillar tunnel this year from them, which is great. Yeah. No, I've they have some really – I would definitely listen to that interview. They have some really great products. Ooh, good to hear. Okay. Uh, all right, Chef Julia, what's your favorite recipe you like to cook from the garden or eat from the garden? <laughs> um, well, I have to admit that Andy, Andy's the one that cooks more in our house. I get very spoiled. He cooks most of our dinners. Um, and there's a lot of really amazing things that he cooks, especially when we're in the height of the season. We have a lot of variety. I think a favorite thing for me that we do that's kind of a – easier go-to is some sort of rice bowl or grain bowl with lots of different veggies on top. So usually we like to prep veggies. Sometimes we'll roast some, sometimes we'll pickle some, um, or some raw and then have your grain bowl with your lots of different veggies in different ways, maybe some spicy sauce and, and some seaweed or, or something like that. I think that's kind of one of my favorite things but there's so many. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something more interesting that we cook, um, but it's hard. I think we just constantly try to try new things. Yeah. Well, what's your favorite thing that he makes that you like to eat? Mm. Or is um, that the veggie bowl? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think one of my favorite things that he makes is, um, let me think. Of course, I'm blinking out. Um, don't feel pressure. Like I said, it's really easy to edit. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, he makes really incredible tomato sauces from our tomatoes. He's kind of a master at tomato sauces. So in the summer, I love when he makes a fresh tomato sauce. Sometimes we can it for the winter too. 
um, but he'll make a fresh tomato sauce utilizing a lot of different tomatoes that we have. And so pasta, tomato sauce, basil from the garden, really simple. It's just really lovely. It's hard to really beat fresh quality tomatoes in the summer. I'll say. How about a favorite internet resource? Like where do you like to surf on the web? Yeah. Um, so we, it's my something to say, but I feel like YouTube is really great. <laughs> um, I feel like there's a lot we've learned from YouTube, whether it's, I mean, there's certain farms, there's like Curtis Stone has a lot of really great videos. I feel like we've learned a lot from his videos. Um, and also I feel like sometimes we'll come across different infrastructure challenges or irrigation challenges. And sometimes YouTube can be really helpful. I also really like modern farmer. They have really great articles that I really enjoy reading mostly online. Um, I also think for flower farming, I, you were saying before, but Florette flowers is a really great resource. She has a lot of information on her website on old, especially old blog posts about growing, which is really helpful. And I think I learned a lot from her in terms of our flower growing. Um, yeah, those are my, some of my favorite internet resources that I can think of. Cool. Yeah. How about a book? Well, a book that was really instrumental for our farm was John Martin Fortier's book, The Market Gardener, um, which I think you've talked about or maybe you even interviewed him on a past. I did. Yeah. I interviewed both of them, yeah. Jean Martin Fortier and Aaron from Florette. Oh, great. And for sure, that's like one of our favorite. And that's what Mandy also talked a lot about was his mm -hmm. book. I think it's really great because he really focuses on, there's just so much information, especially for a smaller farm, which can sometimes be hard. Um, you know, certain resources or certain books are geared towards bigger farms, but there's so much information in there that's really useful for a small farm to really maximize efficiency really maximize productivity because we're constantly, like we were saying before, trying to figure out how to, you know, within our pretty small farm, how to really be more productive with that same amount of space. So that's been really great as a resource. Well, speaking of your farm, so do you have any business advice, like how listeners maybe could get started? Cause a lot of my listeners are like, kind of like Mike and I, we have, he has like this quarter, third of an acre, quarter of an acre. I don't know that I call like the mini farm. We're just kind of like mm -hmm. trying. His goal's always been to grow like enough food for us. But if we were going to break into market, and a lot of my listeners are like master gardeners, people have been gardening for a long amount of time, have pretty big spaces and are thinking of becoming market farmers, but kind of like yeah, starting out. So like any advice for them? Or if you could start, yeah. if you just start over, what would you do? For, I'll be quiet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that... I think one of the advice that I would say is to really think about think about where your farm is and think about where your market would be. So really do some thinking and research about where you're planning to sell because that can sometimes also shape what you grow um, and how you grow it. But, you know, are you thinking that you want to do a CSA because you have a lot of people in your area that'd be interested in that? Are you live near a city and maybe you're wanting to sell more to restaurants or grocery stores. I think thinking about, it's hard to always know until you actually are, are putting your produce out there to sell. It, it's easy to come sometimes try to conceive of where there might be oversaturation or, or what veggies are competitive. And I think that's hard to really know until you're actually selling and getting in there. Um, but I do think it's, 
it's possible to kind of think ahead about, yeah, where, where are you trying to sell your produce? Where do you think you would be able to sell your produce? Um, if it is a city that you're wanting to sell to, is it really far away? Is that realistic for you to spend the time driving there? Is there some sort of distributor in the area that could help you with that? I think thinking that through can give you kind of a, um, a little more sense of what you want to grow because who you're growing it for. If you're doing a CSA, you want it really diverse. If you're doing it for restaurants, maybe you want a little less diverse because you want, you know, consistency for a really long time throughout the season. Um, that's something I think that we did think about before we started. Um, but I think it's evolved over time as well, but I think it was really helpful when we thought about that beforehand. Um, no, I forgot. Do you guys just do markets or do you sell to a CSA too? We don't do a CSA. So yeah, so we just do farmer's markets and we sell a lot to restaurants and grocery stores. Um, partly because we both used to be in the food industry. So we really were excited about working with restaurants and that feels really comfortable for us to kind of talk with chefs in that way. Um, and hey, so speaking they, of talking yeah. to chefs, because last year yeah. I really tried to get chefs on my show to ask yeah. about like, how does somebody start working with a chef? Like, what are some of those yeah. conversations like? Like, what should somebody say if they want to approach a chef or like, what do chefs really like to see working with natural farmers? Yeah. Oh man, Andy, my husband would be so great at answering this question because he used to be a chef and usually is the one that reaches out. But I think something that I would say is really, really be able to, I think chefs often feel it's helpful to build a relationship. If you feel like there's, there's some to start with some product that you feel like you can consistently offer for, for many weeks. Um, because that, that's really helpful to kind of keep you in there. If you can say, I can offer this amount for the next X many months. Um, it allows you to have that consistency of coming in and then it's easier to say, well, I also have this, you know, coming in or I have this coming in. Um, but yeah, having that consistency, at least you're having something that, you know, you can consistently offer that they could get from you week after week, I think is really helpful. And I think it does take a lot of, um, you know, because of course, chefs are very busy. It, it sometimes takes reaching out, you know, a few times, Hey, I have this, I have this right now. I had this amount right now. Um, I think Andy would say sometimes, you know, someone's placed an order, maybe they're short on something and you came in just the right moment. So I think reaching out, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit, maybe you have to reach out more than once, but say, Hey, I've got, I've got this stuff for you at this price right now. Are you interested? And they might be sometimes, you know, last minute, someone's like, yes, I would love to take that right now. Um, I think those are a couple suggestions that I would make. Um, and I think it sometimes just depends. Sometimes restaurants have, you know, a handful of farms that they've already been working with that they get a lot of their ingredients from very consistently and it can just take some time or maybe they just don't have, you know, the extra space for that. So I wouldn't be discouraged if there's a restaurant that it's just, you know, they're just not interested. Um, they might just have enough from other farms at that moment. Um, but I think reaching around to different places, I also think, you know, sometimes we have ideas of what restaurants might buy locally and what might not, but I think really asking around to a lot of different restaurants, um, 
because you never know who really enjoys buying from local farms. And so I think really just casting a wide net is really great as well. Cool. And I was surprised. I worked as a chef at a golf course, like a restaurant one summer Mm -hmm. and supplying that restaurant like consistently didn't seem as scary to me as like going to the farmer's market. Like, Right. You know, because they needed like, you know, three red bell peppers and three green bell peppers and, you know, mm-hmm. like six heads of lettuce. Like it wasn't like this huge amount of food for this one little golf course yeah. restaurant. But yeah, I thought that would have been a great way to start out. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Because uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's yeah farmer's market. You like you're saying, you you have to have a good amount to offer. You don't want to show up with just a little amount that you sell out quickly. Um, and yeah, there definitely are certain, certain, um, restaurants that, yeah, maybe just need, need a and little bit. And the other thing that was great about the golf course places, they were only open in the summer. Cause like what I always think about it, isn't a restaurant going to be like, well, we get this supply from so-and-so who spies us all you see all year long. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to like not use them during the summer just because you're producing food. But that might be like yeah. just in my head and a silly thing to think. Yeah. I mean, I think it can happen sometimes, but then, you know, at the same time, sometimes, um, even when someone's consistently buying from someone, maybe that farm had, um, you know, had less that it, it, I do think it is sometimes a thing if someone's has farms they're consistently working with, it can be hard to get in, but at the same time, you know, sometimes people need things, um, additionally more than they had ordered that week. So I think, I think it's, it's, it's worth it to at least reach out. And I, but I would say also don't be discouraged if there's a restaurant that maybe just doesn't have room at that time, you know, for extra produce. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, anything else you want to say, or should we just dive into my final question? Um, yeah, I can't think of anything else right now. Okay. So it's kind of a doozy. If there's one change (laughs) you'd like to see Julia to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard one. There's so many things. (laughs) Um, I feel like I'm torn between two thinking about two things right now. One of which is moving towards more, especially on a large scale, moving more towards renewable energy. Um, you can tell us I two think, things. Yeah. So I think that would be one thing. I, I think that, you know, we've come such a long way in terms of the technology for renewable energy, um, showing that it cre- can create jobs, showing that it can be um, effectively implemented on a large scale and I think that's something that I really hope to see in my lifetime start to transition on a large scale. I think that would make a really big difference. Um, it's something even on a small scale, Andy and I talk a lot about long term. We want to start moving the farm towards more solar and moving the property in general towards more solar. Um, so that's something I would really like to see change. And then I think, you know, just within my own work and seeing how what a difference there is between responsible, I don't know how to, responsible agricultural practices and, and, and not, or sustainable agricultural practices versus not. Um, 
and how I feel like it's really, it's really important to support farmers that, and farms that are really doing it right, that are really thinking about the environment in the way that they farm, whether it's a small, medium, or larger scale farm, um, really, really supporting and putting our dollars as a consumer towards those farms, um, because agricultural practices do have a really large impact on, on the planet and the environment, and food is something that we eat every day, and it can really make a difference if we start shifting um, and I think it's really complicated because we live in a very global economy and of course we need to feed the world. But I think that really, um, really supporting farms that are really making that effort to farm in a way that doesn't hurt the environment and actually gives back. And I just, I think that's something that I really hope in my lifetime we see more support for. And I really hope in my lifetime we see more, um, you know, more funding and more support to support research for that and actual, um, you know, funds to help people implement things on their farms that can really start to shift the way that we, that we farm for the planet. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's so, um, true that, you know, if we could shift our dollar or I just feel like, we subsidize these poor agricultural practices and I would rather see people subsidizing, you know, organic farmers. Now, when you go to market, is the market that you're at like all organic or do you have to compete with commercial growers at your farmer's market in California? Yeah. Um, our farmer's markets, most of our farmer's markets in our area are, fairly small. We're going to be at one that's a little bigger next year. Um, and I'm not sure entirely about all the vendors. I would say most of them are pretty small to medium farms. And I would say at the farmer's markets that we do, a lot of people are organic, even some are not certified organic, but, you know, use organic practices. Some do not. I think there is sometimes a conception of, from people that all farm stands at a farmer's market are organic or, you know, I've had people come up to us and say, or I've overheard people say something to that effect of, Oh, we're at a farmer's market. All the stands are organic. Yeah. Which always, I used to always think that. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a common misconception and sometimes it's hard as an organic farmer to compete, you know, with other farms that, that are not, but, um, I think it's, I think in our area, there's a pretty good amount of awareness, so the smaller farmers markets that we're at, especially, I would say most of the people, most of the other farms there are, um, if they're not certified, they're they're growing organically and using really good practices. But, but yeah, I mean there are sometimes um, farms that aren't, and it's it can be hard, it can be hard to to compete, and it can be hard to kind of relay why why there's value in what you're growing and why sometimes it might be a little bit more expensive. It's really hard to sometimes convey that but we really try to work on our messaging and try to be positive about, you know, why there's value in our product rather than putting down, um, other people. Yeah. That's a great way to term it. Well, just, do you have like a inspirational tip or quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? Um, I don't have a quote, but I do think one thing I would say is that I, you would be amazed how much you can grow in a small space. I feel like 
there's certain plants that are so uh, prolific and fairly easy. Even something like having tomatoes and summer squash can be so prolific. I mean, you can have so much food from that. And I think that it's so easy if you're interested in gardening or farming to start small and really grow a lot amount of food. And I think even if just in your home, even if you just have a yard, having a few pots of of different vegetables, it's it's really it's really rewarding to you know I'm biased because we're both cooks, but it's really rewarding to cook with fresh ingredients. And I think that when you grow something yourself, it's extra satisfying. And I think it really inspires you to want to have more fresh ingredients. And it's, I would just say, don't be intimidated if you have a small space. It's really easy to just grow even a few things and feel like, like you've grown a lot. Absolutely. And I'm big on growing herbs. Herbs and flowers yes. are right up my, and they bring in the bees and the beneficials and the butterflies yes. and pollinators and um, even yes. if you don't use the herbs, they just smell good to walk around them yeah. and they make pretty flowers. Yes, that's, that's such a good point. I, yeah, my, my sister has a, um, she was asking what she should grow in her backyard and, and I was saying herbs, you know, especially if you like to cook, but you're like, you're saying, even if you don't use them all, they're just, they're so wonderful and it's, it's wonderful to be able to walk outside and snip some herbs if you are going to cook with them and, yeah, they just bring in so many wonderful bees and butterflies and yeah, herbs are really great. I love them. All right. Well, tell listeners how to connect with you. Where do they find your website and see your beautiful pictures like on Instagram and Facebook, Facebook, because you are just stunning. And I'll bet you like sell things to people at the market just because you're so pretty. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Um, we so yeah, our Instagram is at Confluence Farm. Um, we do have a Facebook page as well, uh, Confluence Farm, and our website is confluencefarm.com. And we should be getting a new website soon, which I'm really excited about. But yeah, that's that's a great way. Those three ways are a great way to get a sense of our farm, and you can always reach out to us via email too if you have any questions. Hey, so who did draw that cute little logo? Who's the yeah, artist? My, my um my one of my really close friends, her mother did it, who's a really talented artist. Um I don't know if she has she might have. Um Well if you get but, a link to a website, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah I will so look. Sweet. She's yeah, she's really, really lovely. We we have the cart in there is, is the our like farm cart. So I gave her a picture of our cart and Aww. kind of loosely saying that I would love to have some um, veggies and flowers in it. But yeah, it's, it's really lovely. We have it big on our banner of our farmer's market, which is really nice. Well, thanks so much for sharing with us, Julia. Say hi to yeah, Andy. If he wants to do yeah. an interview, he's always welcome to come share. Sounds good. I will definitely let him know. Yeah, thank you so much. This was really wonderful. Aww, thanks. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook available today from Amazon for just $26.95. And it's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis. Um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just um 
all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay. What Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just, um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey, uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis, um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for mother earth. This is Jackie Marie Beyer, and I am just hoping that you're as excited to be learning and gardening this spring as I am. And so I'm really wondering what you're up to this spring. And I am super excited to announce that I am finally going to launch my Facebook group, the Organic Gardener Podcast Facebook group. So I really want to hear about your journey. And I really hope that you will come there and share your questions, your successes, your challenges, your pictures, your, um, you know, connect with the other listeners in the audience. And, um, you know, what's your vision for the future or what's your vision for your garden, for your organic oasis? You know, do you want, are you planting flowers? What are you doing? You know, what project are you taking on this spring, this summer? You know, um, I really want to learn, you know, what do you want to know? Is there, you know, what kind of guests do you like? You know, who have you enjoyed? Who would you like to hear more of? You know, what topics are you really enjoying? You know, is it raising honeybees or planting perennials or, you know, what kind of seeds are you looking for? You know, are they annuals, perennials, you know, what kind of vegetables, what kind of herbs are you planting? What flowers? Do you have any questions that we can answer? You know, what guests have you, um, liked the most, you know? So what, is there something you want me to find out? Like, I'm really going to try to be as active in Facebook, the Organic Gardener podcast, Facebook page, and the Organic Gardener podcast, Facebook group. So, um, you know, if you're look interested in, you know, learning more and reaching out and connecting with other people, you know, especially, you know, the great thing about it is all of a sudden, you know, you might meet three people who are in your area. Just like since I started my podcast, you know, I met Robin Kelson and Laura Behenna. So it was so fun to see them last week. And Pamela Lund, who if you haven't heard of her episode, she's just got a great story. You know, well, Robin's been in the top 10 um, since she aired. But um, to meet these, you know, people, and then I went to the Aero Conference and met more people that are living locally near me here in Montana that I never knew till I started my podcast. And so if you join the Organic Gardener podcast Facebook group, you'll probably meet people in your area. And then maybe I'll be able to find some people from the other states because I think I'm up to like state 20 or 21 still. So there's still more states that I haven't interviewed people from than states that I have. One of these days, I'm going to read that list and um, try to get some people, some listeners. Listeners always make great guests, I think. You've all got more knowledge than you think to share and some answer that somebody else has been looking for. So um, if you want to come on and share your gardening journey, you know I'm always looking. But today, I really want to talk about, you know, join our group. Um, you know, let me know what can I do for you. Even if you don't want to do the Facebook thing, I totally understand. Or if you have another channel that you like. Um, you know, reach out to me, email me, go to the website, you know, you can connect with me. There's the get in touch paid. There's a listener survey on there where you can, you know, which basically is just easy questions about, you know, what, what's your biggest challenge that I can help you with. But, um, just most of all, I hope if you want to, you will come join the Facebook group, um, connect with me and just, um, let's change the world together. Uh, thanks for listening and remember to